You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Esther. Esther chapter 2. Remain standing. Esther chapter 2, beginning at verse 1 through verse 7. And then we're going to skip over to 17, 18, 19, and 20. Esther chapter 2, over in the Old Testament. Before you get to the Psalms and the Proverbs, back in that part of the Old Testament. Esther chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The title of the series has been Damaged Daughters and How to Protect Them. How do you raise and take care of girls? How do you raise daughters? And uh, Caleb, I know you and Molly got boys, but this will be good information one day when they bring daughter-in-laws into your lives. And uh, so, you know, you need to know something about, about girls. But the title of the message today is Every Girl Needs a Mordecai. Every girl needs a Mordecai. And we're going to be looking at this man by the name of Mordecai more than this Sunday, possibly next Sunday as well. Esther chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Later, when the anger of King Xerxes had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Now, let me real quickly tell you, Vashti had upset him, made him mad. Xerxes was very unpredictable. He was the emperor, the king of, of the Persian Empire. And so he got mad and he banished her. And so she's out of the picture. Verse 2, then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful g- girls into the Aram harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch who is in charge of the women. Let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with these individuals with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai, one of the exiles, had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father or mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. Now skip over to verse 17. After this ceremony had taken place, now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed with royal gifts, with royal liberty. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. 
But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We give you all the glory, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Lord, cleanse me. Forgive me. Forgive me. Let me be a tool. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'll go ahead and tell you that the first part of the sermon is probably pretty serious. Um, because I think we're living in a day when we are facing many obstacles socially, morally, ethically, trying to raise children, especially girls. So I want to talk today to those that are raising little girls, raising daughters. Um, I remember, you know, in 40-plus years of ministry, I remember my first church having a mom come to the door, knocking on the door, me going to the, to the door, and there she was. She had a little small daughter next to her, was holding a little baby daughter in her arms. She had these big sunglasses on, and as she stood there on our front porch, and she had these sunglasses on, we could tell that she was troubled. She was traumatized. Eventually, she would take those sunglasses off, and her husband had beat her. In fact, he had not just beat her, he had thrown a knife at her and stabbed her in the leg. At great risk to your pastor and his wife, we took that woman and her two kids and we hid them from her husband, even though he threatened us. I got a call on a phone one evening, late in the evening, of a woman who screamed over the phone, come quickly, my husband is trying to kill me. By the time I got there, he was on the verge of killing her when I got between him and her at risk to my life. In 40-plus years of ministry, I could tell you story after story of women who I've seen who have been abused. It's a real issue in our day. I don't want to depress you, but I want to tell you that raising daughters today, raising little girls to become godly women is becoming much more difficult. It's not easy. And the stats are against us. Last week I talked to you about the trans movement and uh, this movement today out of the LGBTQ that is beginning to hone in on 12, 13, 14-year-old teenage girls and basically even trolls on social media that are doing everything. Again, many of these people are not in the trans lifestyle, but are trying to coax and pull young girls into this lifestyle. Somebody came to me this week and said Andy Stanley had said there at North Point, his church there in Atlanta, had said he had encouraged his people to welcome the trans community. Let me say this. I want you to listen closely. I believe that we love everybody with the love of Jesus Christ. I don't care if a drag queen comes in here. I want you to know something. I will love that individual right where they are, and I'll do everything I can to introduce them to Jesus Christ. But I will also say this. Max Licato said it. He said, Jesus accepts us like we are, but he refuses to leave us there. You know, godly people welcomed me into the body of Christ within the difficult task of sanctification, hagiosmos, 
me being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ took loving people that came around me. They didn't judge me, but they, like Jesus, refused to leave me where I was. So, you know, I want to make that clear. But I believe for mom and dads, the most important thing in raising girls is twofold. Number one, that if your daughter is to marry, that they marry in God's will. Now, let me tell, tell you, sometimes it is not God's will for your daughter to marry and do not push them into relationships. Do not put them in marriage. Do not put those expectations on them if it is not God's will for their life. God may be calling your daughter and even your sons to be single a lifetime to invest their life in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, if God had given me a choice in the matter, I would not have married, would not have had family. I would have surrendered my life full-time to missions and been in difficult places where you could not have taken a family. So it's not always, but if... You're raising sons and daughters. Believe you me, for Caleb and Molly, it's just as important that they begin to pray for God's will for Caleb, for CJ, and for how that they one day will come into their life godly women. So it's important to pray God's will. You want a ma ladies, if you're raising daughters, you want a godly man who provides, protects, and pastors that little family that's been entrusted into his care. Now, in Esther chapter 2, real quickly, let me tell you, these are people that are living in a vassal state. They're subservient. They're slaves. They are the servants, the slaves of the Persian Empire, and that's Esther. Esther, I wrote this down, Esther is living in a very dangerous culture in a very dangerous situation. If you don't believe that, look what happened to the previous queen, Vashti. She needs the guidance, the support, the encouragement. She needs Mordecai. And every girl needs a Mordecai. I'm telling you, it's critical, and especially in these days, because she was living in an alien culture. You're raising children now in a post-Christian nation. You're not in Kansas anymore. You are carrying in your possession right now a laptop computer. It can plug you into an enormous amount of information, give you a lot of things, and a lot of those things are not good. So we're living in a different time. We're living in a different kind of world. And you and I need to understand, these are times I wrote this down, raising daughters is not for the faint of heart. Told you last week, I've, had, I've got two daughters and two sons. And for a dad, raising daughters was just as difficult, if not more frightening, than raising, uh, raising sons, raising daughters. Let me give you some stats. And it's good, um, it's good to have somebody here that's going to be spending the summer looking at stats. Shelby, it's good to have you here, and I hear you're going to be doing a lot of this, so uh, you can double-check me on some of this. Let me give you some stats. One in four women experience domestic violence by an intimate partner. Now, let me say this. Because we basically dissolved the institution of marriage, live-in relationships, that's how the information is reported. 
So it's not necessarily talking about a husband. It's also talking about a boyfriend. One in four women experience domestic violence by an intimate partner. Twenty women a minute. Sexual violence, physical assault, stalking with the intent of injury. Many women go on to develop PTS, post-traumatic stress disorder, because of what they're going through in the area of abuse. One in seven are injured. One in ten are raped. One in four women are the victim of severe physical violence in the form of beating, burning, and strangling. If that's not enough to encourage you in raising your children and in raising your daughters to begin to pray hard for who they're going to marry, right here on that pew, right, right here on that row of seats where Junior is sitting. I had a young lady one day sitting there, and let me tell you, she was running from an abusive husband. She was pregnant. She had three children with her, and she was sitting there, and she wept and cried. She was hiding in this church from an abusive husband. Her husband had loaded up with guns, was trying to find her. Let me tell you what I love. Willie, Belle, many of the men and women around this church, immediately they came to her protection. Belle was watching over the kids. She had a tire that was leaking on her truck. Willie took that truck in that truck. Now remember, he's looking for that truck. Took that truck down there to the corner to this tire shop right down here. Her husband made the mistake of pulling up there, making threats. And the men down there in that tire shop, they took care of it real quickly. I love the hood. But this young lady sat there. Her dad had had multiple strokes. Her dad was a man's man. Her dad was the kind of man that had he had his way, he would have whooped that man right into the pavement out there if he'd have been able to. But he had had multiple strokes. He would die one month from the day she died. As I looked at her, I thought, beautiful young lady. As I looked at her, I thought to myself, I could remember when I spoke in her home church and her parents, a beautiful young couple, were carrying this breathtakingly beautiful little baby girl in an infant seat, an infant carrier. She was six weeks old. But not long after that, she was killed in an accident. Many believe that her husband, who also has since been killed, and left their family and her children. Her dad had died one month before she did. This is serious. One in three women experience some form of violence, such as slapping, shoving, pushing. Sheila and I, we've been married, let's see now, before I get in trouble, 45 plus years, going on 46 years. One time early in our marriage, I was frustrated with her. And she just happened to bend over at the right time, and I popped her on the rear. I thought I was going to be with Jesus. My life, my short life passed before me. She turned around real quick, and she looked at me and said, Daddy, don't you ever lay a hand on me like that again. I didn't. Typical day in domestic violence hotline, 20,000 calls. 
The presence of a gun increases domestic violence situations by 50%. If you don't rescue your daughter in a, some situations such as this, they'll deal with a higher de depression and suicidal rate. One in five women, again, have been raped in their lifetime. I said one in five women. 72% of all murder-suicides involve an intimate partner. 94% of victims are female. $8.3 billion in cost to the nation. 8 million-plus days lost in work. 78% of women killed are killed on the, in the workplace. In Mississippi, 39.7% of Mississippi women suffer physical violence. Mississippi, and, and Shelby, I wanted to, you could check on this for me. Mississippi does not release stats on, homo, on homicide by intimate partners. I thought that was strange. And at one time, Mississippi was the number one state in women, in women being abused. And killed and you may say well why is this uh, you know why is this so prevalent we've got an enemy have you ever noticed who the enemy went after in Genesis who did he go after did he go after Adam went after Eve in fact he went after Eve listen first of all for her own soul he wanted her to rebel against the Creator God. But secondly, he went after her because of her influence on Adam. You know, I wrote this down. I make some of the ladies mad, but many men never reach God's will, purpose, and plan for their life due to a woman. My greatest help in discipling men is the women that are in their life. My greatest threat in discipling men is the woman in their life. Some moms need to get out of the way of dads who are trying to raise sons to be men. You know, women, a lot of times it's, it's tough. Uh, sometimes a dad has to be firm, has to be hard. But no one can understand the maturation of a girl better than mom. The emotional changes, the fears, the struggles with her body, the things that are changing and taking place in her life, relationships. Sometimes only a mom can understand that, but a dad's still important. I wrote this down. Dad, your unconditional love is critical, and to believe in her when she doesn't believe in herself is critical. So you may say, well, why would the enemy go after daughters, women? He's always done that. He did that in, in the Garden of Eden. He went after Eve because he wanted her soul. He went after Eve because of her influence in the life of Adam. But beyond that, he went after Eve because of what she would bring into the world. Take, in fact, take a left. Hold your finger on Esther. Take a left over Genesis. And like I said, this will be a two-part message, so don't get scared. Um, but in Genesis chapter 3, I want you to see this. And before I read it, I want you to understand this. I believe that if you have daughters, I believe that you have an enemy that is doing everything he can to destabilize their life. But let me give you the reason why. Satan is after the soul of Eve. Satan is after Eve because of her influence on Adam. But he's also after her because of her motherhood of Cain and Abel. She's a threat to Satan. Her womb is a threat 
to Satan. Now look at this, Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Watch what he said here. Watch what God says. Let me see if I can find it. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, notice, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase pains and childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. But did you see it in verse 15? He says to, he says to Satan, God says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and whose? Hers. Every woman is a threat. You know, with gender confusion, abortion, all of the issues that we face today, have you noticed that all of it has to do with propagation, re replenishing the world, replenishing the earth? You don't think we have an enemy? And you don't think that enemy's doing everything he can to disrupt this narrative, this biological narrative? Well, let's get back here. Because every girl needs a Mordecai. You know, I love this story. In fact, this story was preached by Brother Valentine, who pastored this church for 27 years. This was the last sermon he preached before he retired. Longest pastor here. And I'm coming up, I'm doing 27 now. But Israel has been taken captive by, the Nebuchad by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. They lived for 70 years as slaves under the Babylonian Empire. But eventually the Medes and the Persians would come in, and the Medes and Persians would defeat the Babylonians, and they would take over the power. The Jews were people that were enslaved. They had been enslaved to the Babylonians. Now they're enslaved to the Persians. And, and so they're living like slaves. This is the reason that Mordecai tells Esther, Esther, do not disclose your nationality. Don't tell them who you are. Do not disclose the fact that you're a Jew. So Xerxes, king of Persia, he's a strange figure. We can read about him in history. He sends a message early on. Let me tell you real quickly the story. I love telling the story. Queen Vashti is his bride. Xerxes is having a big meeting of all of the high muckety-mucks in his military. And at a certain point, they're in a, they're in a party like you could never imagine. They're in a drunken stupor. And King Xerxes sends word to Vashti, the queen. He says, I want you to come. Now, everybody listen. Most believe she was pregnant, and most believe that he wanted her to come in the nude. And you know what Vashti said? She said, absolutely not. Well, King Xerxes and his officials, they came to him and said, King, listen, if the queen can tell you what to do, what not to do, if you give the queen this kind of authority, then you're going to make every man in the Persian Empire's life miserable, and you're going to have to do something. So the king, King Xerxes, banished Vashti. But eventually... He comes back from war. In fact, if you've ever seen the movie 300, I've not seen it, but if you've ever seen that movie, he gets his butt kicked by the, by the Greeks. And he comes back home with his tail between his legs, and he's looking for Vashti. Vashti's been banished, so his officials, in order to get his mind off of his defeat, says, you need a new queen. 
There's a population of about 50 million Jews. I mean, 50 million Persians in the empire. So he sends out a message. There's probably 25 million women. And the outcome of that is, and I read it a moment ago, he comes to this one woman who's breathtakingly beautiful, and, she go, and her name is Esther. And you may say, well, how, why is Mordecai so important? Well, the writer tells us. Her parents have died, possibly murdered, possibly killed. And the result is that Mordecai, her cousin, raised her up as if she was his own daughter. And he was probably only about 15 years older than Esther. But I want you to look at verse 10 in Esther chapter 2. I want you to see it again. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. And I wrote down here, what is the key? How do you protect your daughters? How do you raise children? How do you, how do you give CJ and Hal? How do you give your children the best foot, the best opportunity? Number one, you give them guidance. Did you note that again? Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 20. But Esther had kept her secret, had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do so for now watch this verse 20 Esther 2 verse 20 for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up he needed to be plugged into her life Esther was in a dangerous culture. There were real threats, real enemies. One was a man by the name of Haman who would seek to kill and destroy all the Jews. Esther needed a Mordecai. Every girl needs a Mordecai, somebody to guide them. Children need it. They need hands-on parents involved in their life. I wrote down, dads of daughters... Dad, if you are uninvolved, detached, unloving, physically unloving, in other words, you're not teaching your daughter what is an appropriate touch, you're unemotional, then the reality is you do an enormous amount of damage in raising your daughters. That girl needs your male fellowship. She needs your approval, and she doesn't need it when she's excelling in academics and in sports and in behavior. She needs it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. One writer said, Dad, many daughters live sexually promiscuous lives due to the lack of a dad or a poor dad. He went on to say, husbands, if your wife has lost her dad, or worse, she had an abusive dad, then dad, it's even more your responsibility to rescue your wife and show your wife and your daughters especially what a godly man looks like. Wow. Primary needs of your wife and your daughters, according to Willard Harley, in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, is affection, communication, openness, and honesty, and family commitment. Too many girls are abused today because they don't have a dad that will protect them and guide them and watch over them. I had a man look at me one time years ago, back when I probably weighed about 190, and pretty good, pretty good fight, give a man a pretty good fight. He looked at me one day just as serious when my daughters were dating. And he looked at me and he said, you know, 
you frighten me. I said, I do. He said, yeah. He said, I believe you would kill to protect your daughters. Now, I didn't say a word. I thought I'd leave him with that thought. Wouldn't hurt anything. God knows my heart. But children need guidance. You know what's your pastor's wife? I did an interview with your pastor's wife, Sheila. She said, I asked her about moms and about Mother's Day. She said, moms should allow their sons to be men. I, I'm counseling or was counseling a woman whose son in his 30s is involved in drugs, and she was talking to me one day, and she is a, she alleged said, come to, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but anyway, the reality is she's a strong woman. And, but she was talking about a 30-something-year-old son. And she kept saying, sweetie and baby. And finally I said, stop it. She said, what? I said, stop it. He's a grown man. Talk about him like he's a grown man. And she stopped for a moment. I thought she was going to hang up on me. And then she said, that's the best thing you've told me yet. Your pastor's wife says, Mom, allow sons to be men. Get out of the way of dad or the men in their lives who will grow them to be responsible, strong men of God, committed to Jesus Christ. Bill Belichick tells a story of a mom who came down during the Patriots, came down, I think, at a game to get on to him, and he sent her right back up in the stands. Sheila went on to make this statement. She said, don't rescue, don't excuse, don't enable, don't empower inappropriate bad behavior. Call it what it is. It's not a matter of boys will be boys or sowing their wild oats. Understand this, if you don't teach your son one day, they'll, listen, they'll put a woman as a statistic that I just read a moment ago. A man that would touch a woman is not a man at all. And he needs somebody to beat the snot out of him. We've got too many men today that are effeminate and baby, and the only thing they can be man around is a woman. And I may get in trouble for what I'm about to say, but I'll say it anyway. My mother-in-law didn't care for me. I heard of a man, he said that uh, he had a mule, and the mule kicked his mother-in-law to death, killed her. Neighbor came over to pay respects. He walked out and said, man, I didn't know you loved my, cared about my mother-in-law like that. And he said, no, sir. He said, I really don't. I just came to see if I could buy that mule. <laughs> my mother-in-law didn't care for me. And my wife, when I met her, she had been married before. She had baggage. I was a paramedic, EMT, doing working with the ambulance. I was there visiting a friend of mine who was law enforcement, but also was uh, working with an ambulance service. He asked me to make a run. It was a car wreck. I went with him, came to the hospital. There was a lawman. There was, a law, there was an officer, Canton Police, that was at the hospital. And the guy that I was riding with told me, said, I want you to know, he said some bad things about your wife, Sheila. And at that time, I was just dating Sheila. I don't think we were married yet. No, we weren't. Because your mother-in-law hated me. <laughs> Wasn't I a blessing that? But anyway, 
We were there. We were leaving somebody at the hospital. He pointed and said, uh, policeman sometimes would give us an escort. He said, you see that guy out there? He said, that's the guy that's been bad-mouthing Sheila. And I walked out there, and uh, back then I was a pretty tough old bird. And I walked out there, and I looked at him and said, uh, said, I hear you've uh, made some comments about Sheila, and I called Sheila by her name, which was her previous husband. She went by that name. He kind of looked at me and kind of smarted off to me. I said, let me tell you something. He said, if I ever hear you talk about my wife again like that, I will stomp your ass right into the pavement. And as Russell said, I got a little hood in me. You know, sometimes, and that may be crude and coarse, but every girl needs a Mordecai. Every girl needs somebody that will love them and protect them and watch over them. I was listening to Jordan Peterson. He was interviewing a man by the name of Dr. Theodore Delwimple. And you may think, well, that's a strange name because it's a pen name. This man, a psychiatrist, spent 14 years in an inner city hospital and then going across the street to serve as a prison psychiatrist. He's been featured in the British medical journals. He wrote a book called Life at the Bottom. Listen to what he said. 80% or more had suffered violence, women, by their sexual partner. He said, you could easily recognize a violent, dangerous man when he came into any institution, especially the hospital. Uh, and he went on to talk about what it was like ministering in the inner city. And I thought to myself, you know, every girl needs a Mordecai. He made this statement in the inner city. He said most girls could not, when they were given a form, could not put down who their dad was. These kind of days we're living in. Now let me close with some practical steps and we'll finish this next week. Dad, Mom, learn to communicate with your children. Get involved in their life. Communicate with them. Number two, know who their friends are. And listen, it's not a matter of just knowing who their friends are now at school. It's a matter of, look at this way, it's a matter of knowing who their friends are here. It's a matter of knowing what they're listening to, what they're watching. There are people who spend their life bringing confusion and disorder into the life of your children, and they have easy access now into the life of your family. They're right here. Know who their friends are. Know who their social media friends are. Mom, Dad, use humor. Positive, encouraging, affirming. Learn the power of touch. Dad, learn what it means to put your hand on your daughter's shoulder, to squeeze her shoulder, and to say, as that song says, everything's going to be all right. Mom, Dad, don't kill a fly with a cannonball. Let me say it again. Don't kill a fly with a cannonball. What do you mean? Sometimes we as parents do too much damage over things that really don't matter at all. Choose your battles. Some things are not worth it. And in the end, it'll break down your relationship and it will never be the same unless you're absolutely broken and repentant. Mom, model. Be a model. Model Christ-like example 
in Bible study and prayer and your devotional life, Dad, to your daughters. Model what it means to walk daily with Christ. Make your home a happy home. Is your home a happy home? You know, the kids want to come there. You know, I heard this. Billy Graham told this story. He said there was a cat named Snoopy. And the cat got separated from the family, and the family moved across country. And we're living in, they, 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 no, wait a minute. No, the cat got away from the family. They were on a trip. And they looked everywhere, they couldn't find the cat, and it was like all the way across the country. The family went back to California. Four months later, the cat had come all the way, just about all the way across the country, through the desert to get back to that house. Over four months later, that cat showed up, and they did a story on the cat. And you know what Billy Graham said? They need to do a story on that home. That must have been a happy home for that cat to go through what it went through to get back. You know, home ought to be like that. Ought to be a harbor. Hey, it's not a place where you sit down, you fight and argue and disagree. Home is a place when your family gets home, they just breathe and go, I'm home. It's a place where you're welcome. It's a happy place, an enjoyable place. My, my kids used to get excited because of what Sheila was cooking. Mom, what's going to be for supper tonight? You know, the smell of a food, a meal being cooked. Home ought to be happy. Sometimes, listen, I'll close in a moment. You need to check kids out of school. Dad, Mom, you need to check your daughters out of school, your sons out of school. Hey, if you need a doctor's excuse, see me after the service, I'll write you one. As I tell my kids sometimes, I am a doctor. You know, the reality is is sometimes the best thing in the world to do is to take them out of school unannounced, no agenda, carry them for lunch, take them to a movie, take them shopping, and invest some time in listening to your children. I want you to listen. Mom, listen. Dad, listen. Everybody say amen if you're listening. I want everybody to look this way. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to talk. I want you to look this way. Be willing, especially girls, to rescue your daughters from themselves. Let me explain. When we were, we were in between, we had come home, we'd been in Africa for years, we'd been in England for a time, I'd been to Mayo, and now we were living in Brandon. We didn't know what God was going to do with our life. One day I was cleaning up Amy's room, my oldest, who today is a dentist, married to a pastor, has eight children, Three of them adopted from China and Africa. I walked into her room one day and her journal was there. Forgive me, it was open. And the title in the journal said, What I Do Not Like About Myself. And she had them one, two, three. She had them listed. I wept. I cried. I sat there looking at that and I cried. And you know what I did? I finally, listen, I just finally went over there. No, I did. I sat on the floor, just like I'd seen her do. I just sat on the floor and I just wept. And then I took that journal and I took that pen and I said, What I love about Amy. And I wrote for hours, page after page. I filled that journal. She came home and she walked back into that bedroom. She didn't even show up for the longest. 
And finally, when she came in there, that redhead of mine was holding that journal, weeping and crying. And she fell into my arms and said, Dad, thank you. Save her from herself. Society out there, culture, that, listen, they're cruel. We've got bullies today that bully on this. They go after your kids with a vengeance. This is a whole new level of bullying. And sometimes she gets down on herself. I'm not nice looking. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. And she has, listen, Hollywood, movie industry, commercials. She's bombarded with it. Until you look at her and say, but you're a child of the King. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. I could have lost my daughter there. And that wasn't the first time. At 1.31 morning, I was in an argument with her in college where I was literally fighting to hang on to that daughter. I remember sitting on that hearth and weeping and crying, worried about the peers that she was involved in and would do whatever I could to rescue her. And today, as I said, she's practicing, practicing pediatric dentistry and probably one of the finest dentists I know. Her work, crown work, and things she does in the mouth of people, her oral surgeons speak about it. She's married to a pastor, and she is the model of what a pastor's wife ought to be. She went to China, adopted a child. She spent nearly three and a half weeks adopting a little girl from uh, Uganda. She left two boys to do that and was five months pregnant. In China, she got so sick that she's throwing up, laying and collapsed in the shower. She's so broken. We thought we were going to have to put her in the hospital. I was trying to make arrangements to fly to where she was at. She went. She adopted two from China, one from Uganda, Africa, five biological children. She's an unbelievable mom, unbelievable professional woman, unbelievable pastor's wife. But I believe had I not sat down and spent hours saying to her, this is what your dad loves about you, she would not be the woman she is today. You may say, well, you know, I've waited too late. It's never too late. In fact, I close with this. January 1st, 1929, Rose Bowl. Georgia Tech was playing the University of California. A young man picked up a fumble and in the excitement became confused and ran the wrong way. Just before he could score for the opposing team, one of his own teammates, his own players, tackled him. During halftime, the player sat alone, broken, had a towel over his head, weeping softly, quietly to himself. As the second half started, the coach walked in, said to the, said to the team, to everyone's surprise, the same roster that started the first half would start the second half. Players got up to leave. One player, this young man, still quietly sobbing, towel over his head. The player refused to leave. The coach called him by name. The player said these words, Coach, I have embarrassed you, the team, the school. The coach put his hand on his shoulder and said, Son, 
the game's only half over. Let me tell you, parent, even with an adult child, the game's only half over. Parent, you do whatever you have to do to train up your child in the ways they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Parent, listen to me. It'll take everything you have, everything you have to get your sons and daughters to adulthood and to ensure that when you die one day that they are men and women of God. And this is what you want. One day, and I've been there over 40 years of doing it, when parents die, and you've heard me say it, and finally people, the friends, and I mean, uh, friends are dismissed. People leave that room where that coffin is, that open casket. And finally, it's only the, it's only the children, because dad's usually already gone. It's finally only the children that are gathered there, sons and daughters. Even the grandkids are back. Sons and daughters are standing, and all of a sudden they're looking. It's a very tender moment. I'm almost back in the background just in case somebody needs me to pull somebody out of a coffin because that's what can happen. And all of a sudden they'll laugh. And you'll see them, they'll start to smile. They're crying, and then they'll laugh and say, you remember when Bob? And they'll start telling some story. And the other one will start laughing, and they'll talk back and forth over Mom. And then finally, there'll come that moment when they'll say these words. And I've heard this said many times. You know what they'll say? My mom it was, was the most godly, spiritual, Christ-honoring. That's the best woman I've ever known. Big old tall son. Some of them professional. Distinct. That's the best mom I've ever known. Then they'll do this. They'll reach over. They'll hug her. They may kiss her on the cheek. Mama, I love you. Mama, I love you. And then they'll leave out. And I'll stand there as they lower that coffin and prepare her for burial. And I'll think to myself, wow, in heaven, imagine as she sees this scene. Mom, no greater compliment than you to be called a woman of God. You say, I didn't have, you say, you didn't have it? I didn't have that. Hey, I didn't either. But you know what God did? God gave me mamas all along the way. God gave me women that, that when I was a kid, they just loved teachers that loved me. People that were in and out of my lives loved me. My mom had psychiatric problems, but God gave me people. You're here today, you may be a mama to a child that they'll never have. Let's pray, let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had, Lord, and what a glorious time to focus on this Lord, on this idea of being a godly wife, a godly mother, a, a mom who exemplifies the very character and the nature of Christ. Lord, it may be that some moms today feel that they failed. But Lord, the game's only half over. They're still breathing. They've still got an, an opportunity, a chance. They may say, well, I've already lost a child or I've lost children and I'll never have that opportunity. Oh, yes, you will. 
One day you may walk into the gates of heaven and there may be that sweet Jesus standing there saying, well, he's been waiting on you, she's been waiting on you. Mom, Mom, you're home now. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's oldest daughter, her life was a mess. Son dabbling in drugs, daughter with two illegitimate children, her life a mess. Her husband had been unfaithful. She had divorced. She looked at the interviewer and she said, you know, and this was Billy Graham's family. She said, I decided, she said, I married on the rebound, remarried. She said, Billy Graham, my dad begged me not to marry, but I didn't listen to him. She said, one day into that second marriage, I knew I'd made a mistake. A month later, I left my second husband with my dysfunctional family. And I did what every child ought to be able to do. I said, Daddy, I need to come home. She said when she was making her way home, coming around there, she was wondering what her dad, Billy Graham, would do, how he would handle it. What would he say? You've embarrassed us. Why didn't you listen to me? He had begged me not to marry the second time. I'd only lasted a month. Ruth Graham said that when she was coming down that road, named after her mom, Ruth Bell, she said she looked and there was Billy Graham standing out in the driveway. She said, when I got out, said my daddy, Billy Graham, walked up, wrapped his arms around me, said, Ruth, welcome home. We love you. Game's only half over. So, Lord, I pray today for moms. I pray, dear Lord, for potential moms. I pray for those that want to be moms and are struggling, dear Lord, with bodies that may not even be able to cooperate like they want them to. I pray, dear Lord, for young women that are looking yet for a husband, if that is your will for their life. I pray for young women who, God, you've called them to be single, to be invested in ministry into the kingdom of God. Give them strength. I pray, dear Lord, the little girls that are growing up, that, Lord, moms and dads will wrap their arms around those little girls and that one day they'll be great women of God. Oh, how Sheila and I prayed that Legend Alicia, Jeffrey and Megan, oh, how we prayed that for Legend Jeffrey that one day they would find godly women God, we, we would pray for them. God, we don't even know the homes that they're being raised in. Lord, make them special. God, may they grow up in godly homes. And Lord, what a joy they've brought to our lives. One day, Caleb and Molly will understand what I just said. If it be your will that CJ and how one day have a family and bring a daughter home, a daughter-in-law, they'll one day look at that girl and say, you're just like, you're just like family. And Lord, my son-in-law is the same. So Lord, we pray whatever decision needs to be made, that it be made in this invitation. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.